Wake up with Patty Catter. I love the show. I never miss an episode. It's the best. I turn it on and turn it up. Hello, everybody. You're listening to and watching Wake Up with Patty Catter. Today, I have Tony Watley on the show with me. He is from 365 Driven. And I'm really happy to have him on the show. I've been following him on Facebook for a little while. He's always very positive and encouraging. And um, I'm going to let him tell you in his own words what 365 Driven is about. And then he's going to tell you a little bit about his backstory, where he's from, how he grew up. So, Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm here to wake up with Patty Catter. So that's a good thing. It's always Monday. We're recording this as the beginning of a week. And yeah, what's 365 Driven? Well, it's a dual purpose brand that I came up with because I'm a car guy. And being daily driven was always a joke that we would have for the people with really high horsepower drag cars and race cars, thousand horsepower, be like daily driver because we'd always take photos with groceries in the back, right? Mm -hmm. That was running on race gas. It cost $9 a gallon. But it was just as funny, daily driven, right? So that was always a, a tongue in cheek joke. But it's also in the personal development phase is being daily driven. It means the same thing. And and there's there's a reason there's a gear in my logo. It's kind of the throwback to the automotive businesses that I created over the last 20 years. And also just I think gears mean doing work. It's a symbol of being a part of a machine that's putting out something, creating some kind of result. So that's the branding philosophy around it. And it seems to work pretty well because people love hearing it and love being a part of it. So how did I get here? That's a good question you said. I grew up lower middle class. My mom was a Japanese immigrant and she came here and was a a school cafeteria worker her entire career before retiring. And my dad was a U.S. Marine, Vietnam vet. And I was actually born on a Marine base in Japan in Iwakuni. And so I grew up on the base as a little kid. But then we moved to Houston when I was four years old, three, four years old. And I've been in Houston ever since. So I got to see two very disciplinarian parents my mom was very disciplinary on the education side. My dad was, you know, the Marine Sergeant. So you can imagine I got the physical and mental discipline from him. But that kind of taught me also how to go out and get what I wanted because I didn't have money. We always lived in fixer upper homes growing up. We lived in three different homes and they were all always the worst house in the neighborhood just because it was a good school district. So we learned to value and have pride in what we had and we would just live in them and fix them up and did that a few times. So my parents were originally house flippers for themselves. They would live in them three or four years, get a little bit bigger one as me and my sister started to get older. But they also supported me in my entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, back then it was just, hey, if I wanted a skateboard or bike or a video game, they weren't going to give me any money unless it was Christmas or my birthday. So I had to go figure out how to do that kind of stuff. And they fully supported that. So that was me knocking doors to mow yards and wash cars and walk dogs and clean driveways, whatever I could, clean out garages, because that's just how I worked. And I remember that was a little bit different from my other friends who maybe had a little bit nicer lifestyle than I did. And they would ride by, you know, ride by and see me mowing somebody else's yard. And they would kind of laugh about it, but I didn't care. I just never really cared what other people thought about me getting what I needed to get. And I think that's a really one of the reasons I became an entrepreneur is I don't really worry about the criticism of other people if I'm going out there pursuing my goals. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So I have a special love for cars. My dad, he retired from Buick in Michigan, and I'm from Michigan originally. And you know, that's the automotive state. It used to be anyways, kind of moved around now. But 
Uh, I have a great appreciation for that. And one of the things that I really like about following your social media is that you are really positive and encouraging. And I can kind of see now, I had no idea that your father was a Marine, for instance. So um, I can see where he probably had a leadership position because, you know, after you're in the military for even a short term, you have some responsibilities and he probably passed that down to you. Absolutely. what would you say that the most difficult thing that you went through as a child would be? I think growing up half Japanese in a town that was predominantly, you know, middle-class white country, Texas, understanding that when I was young, most of the adults, the people that were doing things, the teachers, the you know, authority roles were also World War II type you know, era people who didn't really have a lot of a likeness to Japanese people. So although my skin is not darker heavily pigmented. I actually grew up with racism. And, you know, when you're called China boy, chink and ching chong and Jap ass and all the racial slurs you can imagine, because everybody knew who my mother was. And there was times that, you know, we would go to the store and people would that work the store would watch, walk and follow us around like we were going to steal something. And, you know, I get that, you know, we, we had to go through that kind of stuff. And I understand that there's a lot of stuff. I, I've been beat up because I was half Japanese and things like that. So I grew up around racism until I started hitting back, that was around probably seventh, eighth grade. I started to just finally listening to my dad's advice and just put punching him back in the face. Mm-hmm. And then once I realized that, that these bullies who would just taunt you and, and pick on you in groups, once you started hitting back, they started to not mess with you anymore because they're always looking for an easy victim. And that goes as well as for kids as for adults, because bullies don't really grow out of that. They get into the workforce and they use passive aggressive and fear tactics and threaten and stuff about your job or withhold your pay and do all kinds of things to be bullies, but that didn't work on me in corporate either. Also because I've started businesses, which were highly successful and actually was making more from side businesses than my engineering career. So that gave me a lot of confidence and freedom, understanding I had this parachute that I could deploy at any time that if my boss was trying to make me do something they wouldn't do themselves or trying to push my ethical boundaries, I would just quit. And I was fine with that. And they knew that. So they didn't push me anymore. They pushed everybody else. I witnessed that but they didn't push me. And that was the important thing. Mm-hmm. When did you start public speaking? Because you're really great at it. And there were a couple, you post some funny things sometimes too, by the way. Um, some of the greatest things that I've seen was actually this morning, I think you put something about um, keyboard warriors. So that went a- along with the bullying that you're talking about. Um, and if you're not following Tony, definitely go follow and you'll figure out what we're talking about here. Um, but besides that, um, you you post things that are really catchy and people will want to respond to. And um, I really appreciate that. But you were you posted something one day about people who are into public speaking or they're on the radio or they're a talk show or something. You said that they need to invest in like a voice coach or something like mm-hmm. that. Could you explain that a little bit? Because that was kind of interesting to me because I've always felt that my voice is, it's very high. I have a really young voice compared to how old I am. And, um, I would like some information on that. And I know a lot of my listeners, they're podcasters and they're also interested in public speaking and things like that as well. Great question, Patty. So I didn't actually start doing public speaking at a training level until 2017. So I was, I guess, 43 at the time. I'm 48 now for context. And 
Here's the thing, corporate, I was management. I've worked all the way through engineering project management. I was managing hundreds of millions of dollars, had teams of 75 people, built departments with 50 people, have been parts of startups that have gotten 1 billion in revenue in year one. And so I was a leader. I get that from my dad. I understand that. But I lied to myself. I lied to myself for 20 plus years thinking that I could be a public speaker because I had the occasional courage to be able to stand in front of people and speak. So when you haven't had actual tactical training with public speaking, that's what we all assume is like, well, I can stand up in front of people. I can give a hell of a mean slideshow presentation and I can do project kickoff meetings or safety meetings and do these kind of things. And I can represent the company at the, at the annual convention real quick, you know, standing up there and introducing myself and talking about the company. So therefore I must be really good at public speaking. That is the biggest lie you'll ever tell yourself. And you won't discover that until you actually start to get lessons and the tactics and strategies of using your voice to speak with more influence and actually public speaking skills. So the way you hear me speaking really right now is animated but if you would have interviewed me three years ago or prior to 2017, I would have been monotony. I would have been this like this. Hey, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me on the show, Patty. It's been a great opportunity. And um, I, I really am here to share some value with your listeners. And, um, you know, it's it's been a really hard, like monotone, mono volume, mono speed. Those are the two things that make people tune out or go take a piss break or start surfing Instagram or Clubhouse while you're speaking. No matter how important the things that, you have to say, if you don't say them with influence and strategy and understand these things and gain the awareness of these, just by practicing, you're going to lead, you're going to call, you're going to fall flat. And, and the best example of that is that we could literally put a few people on a stage, hand them a script and say, read this word for word. And I guarantee you, some of them are going to stand out. Some of them, be like nobody's going to pay attention. And when you're a boss or you're a leader or you're a manager, or you're a small business owner, you're the, you think that you're a public speaker because you could do a little team building type pep talk speeches. But here's the thing you realize that's a captive audience. They report to you. They can't go take a piss break. And if they get on their phone, you're going to get mad at them and it affects their pay. So they are not a typical audience that you would have on a podcast or on a stage or on videos. So you got to become an entertainer. And the best way to do that is use your vocal varieties, what we learned in Toastmasters. And then if you want to go to Toastmasters, it's only one, what's one meeting a week, like an hour and a half. That's not going to get you there quick enough if you really want to get stepped up. So what I did is I went to my Toastmasters and I always raised my hand to make sure it was really uncomfortable to go up there because I, I was terrified and I didn't have that I had the stage fright. Right. And I would learn the tactic of that strategy, that that lesson. And then I would go home and I would do videos every single day practicing what I'd learned that night. And by the time the next meeting came around, I learned a new tactic and I would practice for the next week a video every single day. Very uncomfortable. Not good at all. Like the really terrible videos early on, but that was the best I could do. And I was willing to push my ego aside and, and was willing to suck because I knew I was a beginner. And I think that's another problem that a lot of people come in and actually eventually became the president of that Toastmasters club for over a year. And I started doing public speaking competitions and winning those at a higher level. And it's not even something that I wanted to do. I was actually becoming more confident at speaking because I was afraid I was going to get interviewed because of the book that I wrote. Well, another interesting thing. Well, let me back up one, one question. Do you offer voice coaching at all? I actually have a voice coach on my team now. That was one of my early mentors from the Toastmasters group and she's exceptional. So I'll give you some tactics. So, so 
we talk about the vocal variety. That's the main thing is learning how to story tell with vivid details, mentioning the five senses to put people into that position so they can visualize the story and being a part of that. Because let's face it, we always remember stories, but we don't always remember the names of the people telling the stories. But we remember the story because once I can take you on an emotional journey as a podcast host or a guest, it's going to resonate with you. And if I can get you feeling an emotion, an emotion becomes the anchor of that memory. So we want to tell a story that creates an emotion, good or bad, or whatever your goal is. But when we speak, you got to make sure that you change the pace around. Like sometimes you hear me speaking really slow because I'm kind of being deliberate. And then when I want your attention, I start to speak a little bit faster to get it going. That variety is what tunes our ear to there's something different about the way this person speaks. And it's a subconscious awareness that makes you lean in and start to talk. You know, what are they talking about? Why is this person speaking so differently? And it's the same thing as if you were to go watch a television show or a movie. Imagine if the dialogue between characters was monotone, monovolume, monospeed, and they were just talking back and forth like that. You would think this is the most boring ass movie ever, and you'd probably tune out and go do something else. So whether you're intending to speak on a stage with thousands of people like I do now or one person, you can actually use the same tactics to be able to just change the, the pitch, the tone and the speed of your voice as you're speaking. OK, now um, that was great. Sorry, I, I just had a cough. <laughs> Quit muted that. I'm going to block that part out. Um, but Tony, I'm wondering what what kind of services do you offer? Because you are a coach, you're a business coach. Um, what else? Because it looks like on your website you offer a variety of different services. Yeah, I would say that my one-on-one clients tend to be seven and eight-figure business owners nowadays. I would lean more towards executive coaching for them. We do go into the strategies of their their business and find the bottlenecks and the efficiencies. But we also do a lot of personal development for them as an individual and also their management team. So I actually didn't count on that in the, really the last three years of doing this publicly is that it would lean more towards the executive coaching and just really helping them with their accountability, their personal goals, their business goals, their financial goals, their family goals. And I love those kind of conversations because I, I do this for the transformation. Now I get that that's a high price point ticket. And I start to offer the mastermind groups as well. I've got eight person masterminds. I've got a couple of those. And in those, we have a different format where everybody has a hot seat. You know, we get to share. And the thing about those mastermind groups is one, you build a really tight knit community of six to eight people that are going to be through this program an entire year with you. And they're going to help hold you accountable. They're going to push each other. I make it competitive because I know that when you introduce competition between them and even I have competition between the two groups, if you can imagine that. So mm-hmm that's going to keep them like holding them each other accountable and go, Hey, come on, you're, you're slacking, you're holding up the team. Let's get this thing going. And you know, that's the kind of accountability we need because that's the kind of people I attract into my audience is the high driven high performers who just want to get to that next level. And, you know, nobody really comes into 365 driven making a bunch of excuses. And if they do, they don't last very long. Well, one of the amazing things that I read on your website is that you and your wife race cars. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. That's very interesting. I don't know very many. I think I may know one woman race car driver. I'm sure there's a ton of them out there, but you just don't hear about it too often. How did you end up racing cars? The, the funny thing about the car thing is that my wife has always enjoyed cars, but she wasn't like a car fanatic until she met me because she didn't think she could afford a sports car and you know, we were, we were, she was young she was 21 at the time and she was driving a Honda Accord. And then after I took her out in the, in the Trans Am and let her drive it, she's like, wow, this is a lot more fun than my Honda Accord. I was like, I know. 
And she's like, how much is this? And it was the same price that she paid for her Honda Accord. So she actually went and traded her Honda in and got another Trans Am. So wow. we had two at the time. And the funny thing is, is that after that, you know, you kind of create the monster. She likes having the power and being able to pass whenever she wants. And then was going to cut her off. She drives actually far more aggressive on the road than I do. I drive really aggressive on the racetrack. But to her, like anybody in front of her is like, that's like, you're in my way. Get out of my way. So <laughs> Competition. We got, we got the different personalities in that regard. But yeah, so my business is I started my first online business in 2001. And it was an automotive community. And it grew into the largest of its kind for the General Motors performance online communities. It had over 300,000 registered members. And it's called ls1tech.com for those who may be curious about what that was. But it was based on the Corvettes, the Camaros, the Firebirds, the Cadillacs. And those were actually my sponsors. I actually had advertisers from all the big majors and I had all the parts manufacturers and all the speed shops and wheel and tire companies. And so that's how we made our revenue. We made about $400,000 a year profit by just having the art, the marketing budget that was coming in. And, and I grew that thing is so big and I ended up selling that for a couple million dollars in 2007. So that's why they called me the side hustle millionaire. And people are always asking me like, why didn't you quit your engineering job when you had all this money coming in? Well, I got really good at making money because I worked offshore a lot of times or international. So just like the military you know, fans that you have, sometimes we disappear for a month or floating on a rig or a construction vessel or we're in Africa or just anywhere we're working. So you kind of are off the radar. There's no way you can really run a business like that when you're disappearing. Sometimes you don't have internet for weeks. And so I had to go build businesses and, and fire myself from those processes really quick by hiring people that can manage the server and do the graphic design and fix bugs and invite people and enroll people. So once I was able to write the processes and systems, which I learned from my engineering career, I could dish those things out and just pay people to do those things for me, which allowed me to really hang out on my website as a consumer and got to experience it from the ground floor and seeing what I would complain about if I was a customer there and, you know, the users and be, by doing so, I built a lot of strong networks of people because I, my goal was to facilitate everybody in my group. Same thing I do with 365 Driven. I wanted everybody in that group to become best friends. Mm -hmm. It's not about me. I'm not the one that's out there saying, I want all these followers because I want to be super important. And I've got millions of followers. Everybody's fascinated with followers nowadays. I'd rather have a community uh, one-tenth that size as long as that community are best friends because I like to make sure the the chains of communication exist between every link of the community rather than a follower business model is like, I'm on a stage and I'm speaking down to you and you and you and you, but it has nothing to do with you all talking amongst yourselves. So a community builder builds links between everybody. And, you know, that's, that's what I do. I'm a community builder. I absolutely love that. Recently, um, there was a man who approached me about being on my show and he said, I'm really interested, but I see you don't have very many followers. And I then explained my stats and how many people listen to the show and how we have a private group and how everybody in that group interacts so well with each other. And I, I agree. I'd rather have a tight community that is there for each other, building each other up. And that's another thing that I do love about what you teach and what you're all about. Um, if you could tell our listeners where they can find you on social media, though, for those who like to follow, could you go ahead and share your links? Yeah, my website is 365driven.com. So 365driven.com. And you'll find links to my Instagram, my best-selling book called Side Hustle Millionaire, and my own podcast, which is also 365driven. There's also links to join the society. We have a free one and a paid one. But yeah, if you would like to reach out, reach out and I'd love to hear from you. I always respond to all my own messages. 
Awesome. And everybody listening to the show, you're going to be able to find his links in the show notes and on the screen if you're watching. Um, Thank you, Tony, so much for being on the show. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap it up? Yeah, I would say that I always like to say that you got to take action before you got to have the answers. Too many people right now, especially when it's all this information available, Patty shares it, I share it. We get into the consumption mode where we're always just reading the next book, listening to the next podcast, hanging out on Clubhouse nowadays. That's that's what we're all doing nowadays. And just consuming information and taking massive amounts of notes, but we don't take any actions, okay? Too many people, those of you listening, pat yourselves on the back because you have great ideas. But what we need to realize is that thousands of people die every single day with amazing ideas that probably could have made them millionaires, if not billionaires. So I would say ideas are really essentially worthless. They're they're literally worth zero dollars until you start to implement and take actions. And when you tell yourself like someday I'm going to start this business or someday I'm going to take my fitness serious or someday, go look at a calendar. And last time I looked, there's no someday. It goes Monday through Sunday, but there's no someday. So someday is always today. And understand that you don't have to be the best entrepreneur. You don't have to be Elon Musk to go start your, your startup business. You're going to learn as you go. The best entrepreneurs just take action and start something, whether that's going to get the domain name for their website, going to create a business checking account or PayPal account, way to get paid. Just little steps like that are going to start to give you the confidence and the momentum to move forward. But until you actually take those first steps, you're just going to be stagnating and waiting just like everybody else on the sidelines. So make sure you take those actions and know that you don't have all the answers and that you will become a better entrepreneur the longer you do this. Yes. Oh my goodness. I was trying so hard not to be like, yes, while you're talking. Um, that is so important. And and those of you who know me know that I started an apparel line. I, I wanted to do it. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I had to learn as I went and I'm still learning. So Tony, that is really valuable advice that I totally stand behind. Thank you so much for being on the show and everybody definitely go check out Tony's social media. And again, we'll post it on the screen and it's in the show notes. If you missed it earlier, Tony, thank you. And I appreciate you and your time. And I think you're doing an amazing job in this world. Hey, Patty, thanks for having me on the show. And it's been fun to connect and get to know you a little bit better. And we'll see you online. That's excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wake Up with Patty Catter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Follow Patty at Patty Catter on Facebook and Instagram. Get social. You can now watch Wake Up with Patty Catter on Amazon TV and Roku. It's the only podcast I listen to. Be sure to check out Patty's apparel line, The Patriotic Mermaid at thepatrioticmermaid.com and on social media at The Patriotic Mermaid. I love it. Special thanks to Patty's content creator, Elise. Alicia Thompson. Thanks for all that you do. Visit ThompsonCreate.com for all your marketing and design inquiries. 